Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. My goal with this podcast is to have a no-holds-barred discussion of aging in America and to look at it from all angles. So today, we're going to get the perspective of someone in the millennial generation. I'm joined by 29-year-old Hilary Tone, who formerly worked at Media Matters here in Washington, D.C., and is now the Director of Communications for the D.C. Public Schools. Hillary also teaches dance at Capital Movement, whose mission is to build better lives for young people in D.C. through the arts. Hillary Tone, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I know you just came back from a trip out west, and you grew up in Southern California in in L.A. County, right? Uh, Yes. Not exactly the epicenter of aging in America, more like avoiding aging, right? <laughs> right, exactly. You don't you don't see a lot of people aging in Hollywood, and even if they are, they make sure that you can't tell. So, yeah, not exactly the epicenter at all. But you came back from, uh, oh, you also were up north, and I know that was a special trip, so why don't you tell me the purpose of that visit and, and how that played out? Yeah, you know, I'm originally from Southern California. Uh, about half of my family lives in Southern California, but the other half, uh, my mother's side, lives in Grants Pass, Oregon. Mm-hmm. which is a pretty small town, about 45 minutes or an hour north of the California-Oregon border. And I flew out there just for the weekend, a very quick trip to see my family because my grandmother turned 98 on February 28th, which was a pretty big milestone. Mm-hmm. I'll say. So I, I wanted to go out there and see the family that I hadn't seen. I haven't seen that part of my family in about two years simply because when I fly home to California, it's not very easy to get home to Oregon, too. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I usually just kind of have to pick and choose. And since I haven't seen that family for a while, I went out there uh, to, you know, so celebrate my grandmother's birthday, see my family out there and, and you know, just be present for it. Mm-hmm. And and this is your mother's mother or your 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 dad's mother? Yes, my mother's mother. My dad's mother passed away several years ago uh, at the age of ninety-five. Wow! So I'm I'm relatively sure that genetics indicates I'm going to live for a very long time. Yeah, the odds, uh, but, the odds are in your favor. <laughs> exactly, but the the primary difference here is that my my dad's mother had every wit about her up until her her last breath. Uh, she had a fantastic memory knew where everything was, was very with it, even if she physically was a little bit, you know, was deteriorating slightly. And my mother's mother has pretty severe Alzheimer's. And I say pretty and really, I mean, like severe, severe Alzheimer's. Um, She was diagnosed a number of years ago, and I've been around her since then only a few times, you know, a couple of years apart each time. Mm -hmm. And to see her, you know, just kind of slowly leaving us without actually physically leaving us mm-hmm. um, is, is really sad. And it's, it's depressing from the perspective of, you know, obviously it's depressing as my grandmother, but it also makes me wonder, you know, is this going to happen to my mother? Is this something that I'm going to have to deal with 
the way my mom's dealing with it. And, you know, my mother is one of five children, and there are multiple grandchildren in my family, too. So my grandmother really has a support system, whereas I'm my mother's only child. Mm-hmm. And that it, it, it makes me, you know, nervous for what the future might look like, because that's not a future that anybody wants. Well, your grandmother is in a, living in a nursing home now, is that correct? Yeah, she's technically in a, an assisted living facility assisted that living. she went into when she was relatively still independent, and they've been absolutely fabulous because they pretty much tend to her night and day, um, but she's still, you know, t- eligible to live there. Uh, we're not sure how. She probably should be in a nursing home, but she's still huh. technically in an assisted living facility. And and does she get a lot of visitors from family? What sort of, um, you know, what how does that play out? Because often people are just sort of left behind. It's not like that in every family, but, you know, it's tough for people to face that in themselves and the possibility of it, and let alone visiting someone in an actual facility. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think that there are a number of people in my family, some of my uncles and aunts, who struggled with the decision to put her in the assisted living facility. I know it was quite controversial among my mother and her siblings, uh, but it had just gotten to the point where, you know, she had fallen after she was living with some of my aunts and uncles, and they just weren't able to provide the necessary care that she needed at, I think, 93 or 90 years old at the time. What were some, uh, so of, their, she, what were some of their objections? One of my uncles and aunts at the time had three small children under the age of 10. I so mm-hmm. having, having an elderly person around to care for when there are, you know, small children who need to be attended to mm-hmm. was not an easy was not an easy balance for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, once my grandmother couldn't drive anymore, which I believe she drove until, you know, into her early nineties, uh, she just, she just lost her independence and, and no one in my family was really able to devote the time and care that, that she needed to, you know, stay alive basically. Mm-hmm. Does she herself have any surviving siblings? Your grandmother? Uh, no, her, my grandmother had one sister who mm-hmm. I'm actually named after her. My middle name is her name. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't recall meeting her. She passed away several, several years ago. I may have met her as a small child, but I'm, I'm almost certain she actually passed away before I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's been, it's been a while. And what's most interesting about my grandmother's Alzheimer's is that she has so much trouble. She, she basically can't even recognize the grandchildren anymore. She has no idea who we are. She now has a very difficult time recognizing her own children. She can, if you catch her at the right moment, she can remember who who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but she never forgets her sister. If you say the name Eileen to her, she'll be, oh yeah, like she'll. And she's brought her up on her own before many times. Like her sister is very much present in her memory. Mm-hmm. Well, what's left of it anyway? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they say with Alzheimer's, it's first in, last out. The first first memories that you have are the last ones to go. So she probably remembers her sister from when they were very young. And those are memories that are the last ones to go. Even if you have dementia and you don't have Alzheimer's. So so what sort what sort of quality of life does your grandmother have now, do you think? Does does she uh, is she entertained? Does she do things uh, in the home there or what? At the assisted living facility? You know, this past trip to Oregon, you know, my family and I had a number of conversations about this in the, in the short trip that I was out there for. Um, where we kind of asked ourselves, is living this long worth it if this is the life you're going to live? Because she's reached a state that's so that's so sad and just seems so, um, like her body has outlasted her brain mm-hmm. by, by at least a couple of years. And, you know, the quality of her life, honestly, is not great. Um, she gets very good care, very attentive care from the people who work in her facility. My family does try to go see her, I think, occasionally. 
but she sleeps most of the day. Um, mm-hmm. We had a little birthday party for her while I was out there, and she mm-hmm. had just come from lunch. Mm-hmm. So she had been awake for probably two straight hours, and by the end of our little party, she was starting to nod off in her chair. Oh. Um, mm. But she, what's very interesting to me is that through all of this, she has not lost her sense of humor. She still picks huh. up on jokes very easily. She wow. knows when you're being sarcastic. She knows when you're telling a joke. Even if she has no idea who the joke's about, she can tell by your tone of voice or what you say that you are trying to be funny, and she genuinely laughs. Um, and that seems to be the kind of last piece of her that's, that's well-preserved, which is great. Like, uh-huh. I really enjoy getting to see that part of her. Uh-huh. And when did you last see her before this visit? And, for instance, how often do you been, see her in a given year? I had seen her Christmas of 2012, so it would have been a little over two years. And you noticed a difference um, since then? Very much so. Um, she was much more awake the last time I saw her a couple uh-huh. of years ago. Um, uh-huh. She at least kind of knew who my mother was. She didn't know who I was, but my mother would be able to say, you know, hi, mom, it's Barbara. I'm here. This is my daughter, Hillary. And my grandmother would say, oh, your daughter. And she and she mm-hmm. would kind of put the pieces together, even if she wouldn't be able to hold on to them for very long. Mm-hmm. And this time, she barely even knew who my mom was. So there's definitely been, you know, some, some degression there, if that's the right word, mm-hmm. um, that, mm-hmm. she's, that she's gotten, you know, I mean, she's 98. Sure. <laughs> Well, how does your mom deal with all this? It's tough on her. You know, I, um, I'm i usually with my mom when I when we go up to Oregon, and, and my mom and I will go and see her together. And I can see that she's, you know, she's trying to be strong for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But she's, it, it pains her. And I can't even imagine, you know, I, I think about how I would feel if she were in that position. That was going to be one and of my questions. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It's, it's just devastating. Um, my mom... My mom has very much accepted that this is, you know, what has happened to her, and they just want to make sure that she's comfortable and, you know, relatively enjoying herself. She seems, when she is present in the moment, she seems to be okay. She seems, even if she doesn't understand what's going on, Mm -hmm. everything I think is just kind of a dream to her. She's in kind of like a permanent dream state. Mm -hmm. And it's tough on my mom, but I think she's tried to put on a brave face at this point. Her and I both, every time we see an Oregon number calling our phone number, we kind of assume that that's, you know, that it's about my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Was your mom close to your grandmother growing up? Did did her relationship with um, her mother change during her decline? You know, I think my mother has had to let go of a lot of stuff um, in my grandmother's decline. Mm-hmm. She and her, my mother and grandmother had a very tumultuous relationship growing up. My mother grew up in a not uh, super wonderful environment is the mm-hmm. nice way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my grandfather walked out on them when my mother was pretty young. He had been a World War II vet and had really severe PTSD. But at the time, of course, we didn't know what that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, my, uh, and then my grandmother remarried to a, a man who was not, um, the, the, the dynamics of the family really shifted, I mm-hmm. think, when she remarried. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you know, my, my mother always tells me that my grandmother took a lot of her own stuff out on my mother. And my mother was only a child at death, a teenager at the time. Mm-hmm. And my mother went through a lot of therapy. <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, basically, the way she puts it to me is that, you know, my, my childhood was what it was. And I went to therapy to end it, what I had to do to make sure that that wasn't going to be projected onto my own children, which she did a fantastic job of because mm-hmm. I never knew some of these things about my mother until I was old enough to understand them. Hmm. Um, and even, even as a teenager, you know, I would watch my mother and grandmother get into arguments and, 
disagreements and I could see that my mother was very frustrated. They always loved each other, mm-hmm. but it would kind of be the same thing over and over again every time she came to visit or every time we went up there. Mm-hmm. And in my grandmother's decline, um, I think my mother's been able to hopefully find peace about this with herself. You know, she always, even at, even in this last trip when my grandmother didn't know who she was, my mother would say, you know, I love you, mom. And um, I think when my grandmother passes, at this point, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised by it. I think we're all ready for it. No one's going to say that she was taken too soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's she's so far gone. She's just not there. Um, that it's it's. I, I at least hope, and I think that my mom has found some peace with that. Mm, it sounds like she has. Before your grandma moved into the facility, it sounds like she lived in a. Just to go back for a second, she lived in a couple of different family houses was she sort of shuttled around or is that how it worked or was it just like one or two stops because my mom is in a retirement home as well and and she sort of got there through um sort of stepping stones from starting from other family family members right and that's very much the case you know when she first um moved out of her own apartment and so i would say that was probably in her late 80s and that was in um, oregon this is in Oregon, yes. Mm-hmm. This is all in the same little small town in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, she moved into my uncle's guest house, and she lived there for a while on her own. So that she was still independent. She was still driving, but a family member was close by pretty much at all times. Mm-hmm. And so how old was she, she been went at that time? Around 90. Oh, that's getting up there. Yeah, mm-hmm. not bad. Like, she, yeah. she really did keep her wits about her for, you know, well, I would say well into her 90s. And mm-hmm. you know what? It's a total side note, but my grandmother... Um, always thought that she was going to pass away at 92 like for most of her life she had some sort of premonition that told her she was going to die at 92 hmm. uh she was obviously very wrong <laughs> because it's been six years later now but she went to yeah, the wrong i don't know why dollar. that just occurred to me but right exactly <laughs> uh, so she lived with my uncle in the guest house for a while and it became pretty clear that when she wasn't able to drive anymore and when she had a started having some more trouble getting around mm-hmm. uh, that she was going to require some more intensive care. And then so she moved in with and my other uncle and aunt who lived in Grand Pass and um, was there for quite a while, was living with them for quite a while. You know, one of my aunts, I believe, at the t- this aunt at the time, I believe, was not working full time. Mm-hmm. This is the family with three small children, though. So mm-hmm. she obviously had her attention very devoted to her own kids mm-hmm. uh, as well as to my grandmother. And I believe she fell once or twice while she lived at that house. Yeah, she fell, I believe, twice while she was living in my uncle's home. And it was oh. after the second time that the family kind of swooped in and said, you know, she, she can't live there anymore. We need to get her somewhere where she can get the kind of round-the-clock care that she needs. Mm-hmm. And did the issue ever come up of p- possibly bringing someone into the home, like a caregiver of some kind? Um, I believe we did have somebody who came in on a semi-regular basis, so not every day while mm-hmm. she was living with my uncle. Mm-hmm. So she had someone kind of coming in to check on her, maybe like a nurse or something. Um, but for the most part, you know, th- that role was kind of adopted by family. Uh, the, the, you know, looking mm-hmm. after her, caring for mm-hmm. her, being the caregiver for her while while that was still feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then mm-hmm. once it became clear that no one in the family had the time to devote the attention that they needed to keep her safe. 
uh, was when they mm-hmm. decided to move her into the assisted living facility, which she was not happy about <laughs> because she always used to just say, I just never thought I'd end up in a place like this. Uh, I never thought I would mm-hmm. lose my memory. I never thought um, that I would end up this way. And when mm-hmm. she when mm-hmm. she was with it enough to know that she was experiencing memory loss was very frustrating for her mm-hmm. because she would say, I just never thought, I just never thought that I was going to end up like this or, or be this way or forget this many things. And so she definitely didn't like it at first. And then maybe a year or two into it, we found out that she was going on excursions mm-hmm. with, with the assisted living facility. And if you know my grandmother, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the most surprising news because my grandmother was not the type of person to like go on group excursions. So when we heard that she was, and of her own volition, um, we, we started to be a little bit more, okay, you know, maybe she's adjusting to this. Maybe she likes that she would have people in the home that she talked to at lunchtime or was maybe friendly with. I don't, I never got the sense that she made like really great friends, but she seemed to, to acclimate, mm-hmm. you know, a few years into it. She seemed to be okay with it. You know, it wasn't a thing that she was complaining about. Mm-hmm. So she made an effort there. She did. I really think she did. And I think, you know, my grandmother for, for all of her wonderful qualities, um, kind of had a, a conspiracy theory driven life where she was always a little bit paranoid huh. that somebody somewhere, usually within the family, and ironically, somebody who had married into the family, not one of her own children, um, <laughs> was was trying to was trying to put her in a home, or was trying to put her somewhere, or was trying to you know maliciously do things to her. But the the funny thing is, and this makes me feel like a terrible person, but. Um, as my grandmother started to lose her memory, she lost those conspiracy theories and she lost the judgments that she used to have about people. Hmm. And she became a much more pleasant person to be around. And I actually adored being around her because her sense of humor started to come out and her, her kind of like more fun loving side started to come out. And these were parts of her that I had maybe seen little windows into, but had never really seen mm-hmm. on a broader scale. And once she, once she lost the memory, once she lost the fact that, she had all of these, you know, concerns and, and judgments and, and just kind of like, you know, these people are out to get me kind of thing. Once that was gone, she, I feel like I really got to see the real her, the part of her that I maybe didn't get to see as much growing up. Mm-hmm. She was probably like that a lot when she was young because, you know, they do become children again. I've seen that in my mom. My mom is 85 and she's never been a bitter person but she said exactly the same thing about going into a retirement home. I just never thought I would end up here. Who would have thought of it? But now your relationship with your mother has your mother has has sort of changed over the last few years since you left California. Yeah, you know, it really it's been very interesting. I um so I'm I'm my dad's fourth child. Uh I have three older siblings who are half siblings. Mm-hmm. Um and they're great. And my mom, like I said, is my, I'm her only child. And so our relationship was really, really special. I, when I think back about my childhood, I have just no complaints about anything in my life. I wanted for nothing. My parents worked very hard to make sure that I could get and do all the opportunities that I wanted to do. You know, I was a very active dancer. I was in band. I wanted to do trips and all that kind of stuff. So um, they were very supportive. And, and my dad was, you know, kind of the provider. And my mom was the one shuttling me to the various activities that I had to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, if we fought, it was infrequently and it was very, very mild. Um, that way, that maintained itself through my college years, I would say. Um, I talked to her almost every day, at least multiple times a week. Um, I, 
moved back home, actually, after college. I moved back home to go to, to graduate school at USC, and my mother lived close enough to the campus that it made financial sense for me to live with her and mm-hmm. save the money. Mm-hmm. And it was like we were roommates, you know? Like, we had our separate lives, but we would, you know, eat together and watch TV together, and I got free food and free laundry, and <laughs> it was great. And um, I moved out of that house to Arizona for a couple of years mm-hmm. um, and was doing some work there and found that our relationship was pretty much still the same. Um, very close, talked frequently. When I moved to D.C., things started to shift a little bit. And I, I don't know if it's just because of the fact that she was very quite openly dealing with her own mortality as she gets into her 60s and later 60s. Or if it had to do with the fact that I was now much farther away than I'd ever been before. I still talk to her multiple times per week. But as I, you know, you mentioned I'm 29, I'm going to be 30 this fall. I, I, as I get into my later years and really kind of carve out and develop my own life, I have found at times that I feel guilty for, for some of the things that I want to or plan to do because it doesn't involve moving back to California to be near my family. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I know that she's very sad without me. I know that, you know, she has a job that's very demanding of her. And so her time is basically spent commuting at work or at home just trying to recover. And so she's got a lot of time to think about this. And I miss her very much. I know she misses me. But I have felt more in the last year than I ever have before that the presence of her, like, motherness. (laughs) (laughs) And, And most of the time, that's a great thing. But sometimes it can be sort of frustrating when I feel like, She's maybe being a little intrusive or maybe giving me advice that I'm not really looking for or checking in on me in ways that make me feel like, you know, okay, I'm almost 30. You really don't need to text me every time that there's going to be a snowstorm. (laughs) But, like, she's a mother, and I understand that. And I know whenever I start to get frustrated by the nature of our contact, I try to remember that, you know, you never know how much time you have with somebody, and she's been a great mother to you, and... You know, you have no right to complain. But, you know, then I go to my own therapist and I'm told, no, you very much have a right to complain about whatever <laughs> you want because everybody's relationship with their parents is different. You know, I, I very much think that her her enjoyment of her life has to do with how much I'm in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have I have told her a number of times that, you know, I, I've I've created this life for myself that you really let me and supported me in doing so. You really... Uh, pushed me to be, you know, whatever I wanted to be. And she was fantastic at uh, what she has referred to as, like, not breaking my spirit um, and and letting me grow up the way that I wanted, the person that I wanted to be without any sort of pressure from my parents to be anything else. And both of them were fantastic at that. Yeah. But but the the life that I've carved out for myself, for now at least, is a life that happens to be 3,000 miles away. So let me ask you something. Um, what, what, what do you think you would do if she became debilitated in some way? And I'd move, I'd move back home in you, a heartbeat. You would. Okay. So that's, yeah. that's really great to hear. I mean, not every, not every daughter or child would say that about their parent. But you obviously have a close relationship with your mom. Right. Like I've happens. had some friends who have, have, who at my age who have, have addressed this problem. Their, their parent gets cancer or their parent experiences some sort of, you know, I mean, I don't think I'd move out there if she broke her foot. <laughs> but, you know, if, if, if there was a, a significant and serious change in my mother's health, mm-hmm. that meant that our time together was going to be even more limited than it could be now, I mm-hmm. would absolutely move back home. Um, I, mm-hmm. That's never really been a question in my mind. Hmm. That's great. 
That's really great. Do you have any other friends your age who are dealing with these kinds of issues that, you know, that you can think of anything specific, like with their parents or their grandparents? I mean, with grandparents, yes. I I actually have a number of friends, my boyfriend included, who don't have grandparents anymore because they've all passed away. Uh-huh. Um, and so I would say that with grandparents, yes, it's much more likely at my age. I do have uh, a limited number of friends who have dealt with this with their parents, and it's usually more of an extreme case like terminal cancer or like some sort of medical condition where they know that their time with their parent is going to be cut much shorter than they thought it might be. Mm-hmm. So maybe they do move back home or maybe they move uh, at least closer to home. Um, but for the most part, I would say that people my age, they care about their family. They want to see their family, but they're not really, it's not really a, a priority in their, in their brain when they're, you know, around 30, because mm-hmm. when you're around 30, your job is to figure out your own life, figure out what your career is, figure out, if you're going to want a family and who that's going to be with and where that's going to be. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that when I talk about issues with my, with my parents, or with my family, I, I do get sympathy from people like, Oh yeah, you know, I feel with that for my mom because she lives in Tennessee and I live here or uh, people who, if their families are local, it's just not even a thing that they think about because they see their families all the time. Mm-hmm. But because I'm so far away from mine, uh, I, I have found a number of people who can kind of understand where I'm coming from with regards to the whole, you know, we love it here and we love living here, but it puts us far away from the people that we care about and that can have some like like negative consequences on your life because you end up feeling very torn and missing them and simultaneously wanting to really carve out your own life. Mm-hmm. Sure, that makes sense. Okay, well, I I have I don't know what else I can ask you except um, if there's anything else you want to you know say to, to give our listeners a takeaway or anything like that. Yeah, I would I would just say that you know it was so interesting. I was telling some of my coworkers that I was doing this conversation with you on a podcast tonight, and they were like, "Aging really?" And they some of them used it as an example of like, "Oh, because you know, because you're getting so old because I'm turning thirty this year, and I think it's funny." <laughs> and and I say, you know, no, and, and I kind of describe them like, you know, this is my one of my uh, colleagues, and and we know each other for quite a number of years, and she just finished writing a book, and she's starting this podcast, and the concept of aging does not resonate with people my age, and even you know, prior to some of our other conversations, I had thought about it from the perspective of my own life and my own family with my mother and my grandmother and, and that kind of thing. But it's not a thing I ever think about on a broader scale. Mm-hmm. And that's so interesting to me because it's something we are all going to have to face. And I just don't know if we're ever given the necessary tools and 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 just like critical thinking about ourselves and our lives that we need to face that when we are going to have to face it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that these kinds of conversations are really useful and important because you know, the, the sooner we start thinking about this, as as like as depressing as it might seem sometimes, <laughs> it's important. It's a part of life. It's a part of the life cycle. It's part of growing. It's certainly a part of like watching your family get older, especially your parents. And so, I I think that this is a topic of conversation that's so important and yet is so overlooked by such a large subset of the population that. I'm really glad that you're doing this. Great. Well, I really appreciate having you on the show. And th- thank you again, Hillary Tone. Uh, it's been great having you. And um, I look forward to continuing the conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of today's program. You can email me at jana at agewise.com. 
That's J-A-N-A at A-G-E-W-Y-Z, or Z, as my Canadian mother says. You can also find me online at agewise.com, and you can subscribe to the podcast and download any episodes for free at iTunes. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. Until then, age well, age wise.